This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. And you see this manifestation in some of the highest levels of martial artists where they work with very little contact and it looks effortless. And everybody calls it uh, bullshit. But then when you watch Michael Jordan uh, in the old days and go up for a layup and, and slam dunk the ball and he's changing five different directions and he's sailing up there like a bird, everybody's like, wow. But nobody doubts it. But then when they watch a martial artist do some incredible things with people, they have already a doubt. And that's interesting to me. So, Emmanuel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Glenn. So, uh, for the benefit of those who haven't uh, had the privilege of training with you and knowing your work online and stuff, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you teach and what your connection is to Sistema? Sure. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, well, first, my name is Emmanuel Manalakakis. I've been training in Sistema since around 1994, 93, 94. I, I can't really remember, to be honest with you. Um, started a, a long time ago. Train. Uh, I still train up at uh, Vlad's and uh, RMHQ. Uh, I try to get there at least once a week if I can. And then I have a full schedule of classes at Fight Club. So. And you're in the downtown Toronto area? Or yeah, where was it? yeah, towards the city of Toronto. Uh, Danforth area is the exact location, so it's just east of Toronto. Um, been there for 14 years. So done in 14 years. Great. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how you got started? What brought you to Sistema? Was it something specific, or did you kind of just blunder your way into it? <laughs> so my journey to Sistema was interesting. It was uh, I was going to York University at the time. So I had done martial arts uh, in my earlier years quite a bit. And then when I uh, went to university, uh, I just looked at it, and just with studies and things like that, it was going to be very difficult to do. So I focused a lot on my studies, but then I saw this opportunity to play a varsity sport. So I decided to maybe try out for either the football team or the rugby team. And I kind of liked rugby a little bit more at that time, so I said, I'm going to go try out for the rugby team, and I just loved it. So I ended up playing uh, rugby for the entire time I was there. And what, what why that is important at all is that because I was a varsity athlete, I was allowed access to a very special building, and the building was called the Track and Field Center. And this center was a premier center of athletics in Canada for our uh, nationally ranked athletes. So these would be guys that are competing in the Olympics. And oddly enough, I was there in 1987, a year before the 88 Olympics. And a lot of top level athletes were training there. We're talking uh, Ben Johnson, uh, Michael Smith, the decathlete. I mean, you, you name it. The whole host of them were tra- And you're like, so now as this athlete, as a varsity athlete, I have access to this facility that pe- these people are training. And many a times I would go in for a workout and there would, there would be training. You'd be able to actually walk up and talk to them and actually watch how they train. And it was an amazing facility and it taught me so much well bef- way before I was ready to understand it like I mean I just came from a little local high school and the next thing you know you're beside an elite athlete and they are not training like you know I was training they were doing things that were uh, very unique and quite powerful but I didn't understand them but I, I saw that they were quite special so after my my years of uh, university finish and my my 
my varsity days are gone. I, you no longer have access to this facility. You either have to be a nationally ranked athlete or an, or a varsity athlete. And I wasn't either. So because of that, I had to uh, I had to move on, and I couldn't go there. So this was problematic because <laughs> now I'm like left to like these local gyms uh, if I wanted to go work out somewhere, and. I tried one for a week and I was like, you know, if you've ever gone to a state of the art facility where people are training for real serious and then you go to like a local gym, you know, it's really embarrassing watching the difference. You're like, it's like, wow. I mean, I don't know what people are doing in the local gyms. They're just copying fads and stuff. These people uh, that, not, you know, Olympians for a better word of it are, are truly training. You can see, um, the effort you can see the dedication you can see the attention to detail much more um you know the focus is not on sweat it's not on losing weight it's not on stress it's on performance it's on optimum human performance and that's you know you, that subtle change is what's interesting right so so is that kind of what got you started was that that interest in human performance yeah so then that was because I, I you know that's what i went to school for so that, that was my whole thing so i was already interested in that but I never connected martial arts with that stuff. So then I said, okay, well, if I can't train at a, a local gym, which is just nauseating, um, I, I go, maybe I'll get back into martial arts. And I had a friend of mine who uh, also went to university with me, and he graduated with a degree in linguistics. And uh, he, oddly enough, came came across um, this this uh, thing that, oh, there's this uh, Russian martial arts. And, and he goes, and he remembered it because he knew I had, told me i told him i liked martial arts and he said hey did you see this no belts no no um no rules no uh, no katas and forms i was like wow really because that's what drew me away from martial arts so just out of interest which martial arts did you study beforehand oh uh, shotokan shulin ru uh, so traditional karate i did kickboxing i wrestled through high school i boxed as well so i did a mishmash of stuff um, you know, keep in mind, growing up in a suburb of Toronto in the uh, you know early to mid '80s, there was not many options. I mean, there was maybe two schools, so you're really limited to what was there. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to be able to travel to the other side of the city at uh, 16 years old. So, I, I basically just took what I could get where I was. Um, so, it wasn't any um, purpose to that. Just, well, if they teach karate or whatever, I'll just go there. But then when my friend showed me this article or showed me this, I said, well, you know, maybe I'll go check it out. And so I, I remember hopping in my car. I was going to go to, there was two schools. There was a Krav Maga school and then there was a Stemma school. And I said, you know what, let me, I'll try classes in both. And I, uh, I went to uh, Sistema first. And uh, I remember the first class like it was yesterday. It was uh, very different than anything I've ever seen before. Very hands-on. And uh, the instructor, which was Vlad, was working with everybody, and it was uh, it was awesome. He wasn't walking around like an icon. He was uh, walking around and helping people and getting involved and showing people things, which was very interesting, very non-traditional with some of the other stuff I've done. Was that more in keeping with what you'd seen with Olympian trainers or those global yeah, people? Yeah, the coaches are, are coaches are like right on. I mean, guys, uh, I you know. Let's this, this this, uh, talk about things honestly. I watch people going to a gym training, and they, they try to do their workout on their own. Uh, but yet you go to an Olympic facility, and the, Olymp- the Olympians got three four coaches on top of them correcting every mistake. So we are anybody training 
on their own is definitely going to be full of mistakes because there's nobody correcting you. You can't correct yourself. You can't sit there and go, this was right or wrong. Somebody else can do that. So this happens on many, on many different things. So it's limiting. So when having somebody like that walk around and correct you and, and give you advice, it was really the way I enjoyed it. So long, you know, so anyway, on that, after the first class, I remember driving home and I remember two questions saying to myself, I go, either... Um, what is what is going on there is absolutely crazy. It it was because it, it was it was it was mass fighting that day. There was all kinds of stuff. I go either this is crazy, because remember, keep in mind back then everybody wore mouth guards and pads and 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 you know there was the structure to everything. Whereas um, Sistema's approach is a little bit more on on the chaos, meaning not not as crazy as a chaos as a learning tool, and it, nobody had ever seen that. So, of course, the first thing to your mind is going to be, is this crazy? But then when you reflected, or when I reflected, I said, or there's something amazing here. I, I got that feeling that I didn't understand it, but there was, I think, something bigger at work here. So I remember driving home and saying, I think that it truly is something bigger here. And uh, I, ca I came back for a second class, and then I signed up for the year. And I said, okay, I'll just do this for a year. That was it. I'll, just, I'll do it for a year. And then, and then a year rolled into two years, rolled into three years, and just kept rolling over and over and over. And I just never stopped. And the number one thing that you need for any activity that you do is motivation. And I was always motivated to, to keep going. And because it, there's always that in system, a little bit of motivation to keep going. And much like playing a guitar or anything, you, you, if you're not motivated, you'll probably stop doing it. Do you feel like your motivation for training has changed over time? Is it different when you first walked in? How has it changed over the years of training? 100%. It's totally, it, it changes. Our motivation changes. I mean, we're different people in our 20s, different people in our 30s, different people in our 40s, and so on. And we're also different people when we get, when we're single as compared to when we're married, as when we have kids, when we don't have kids. The source of what we're doing changes. And also just life in general. Like, maybe at the beginning the reality was I'm young, I'm... Uh, I don't have much responsibility, just going out with my friends. And the only thing I see is once in a while there's a, f a fight. And it, you might need to use it once in a while. But then as that part of your life goes on, you really don't need to fight. You need system much more to reduce stress of just daily life, um, whether it's, uh, you know, just uh, big city living or uh, parenting and being, uh, you know, a dad with the kids and the stresses of kids. Um, and then just uh, dealing with uh, family, dealing with all kinds of things. You use that a little bit more. So, of course, the, the training and the focus will shift a little bit, you know, because if you live a good life and you're, you're a happy person and you don't say the wrong things and you don't go to the wrong places, generally trouble doesn't find you. I mean, it might, and you'll deal with it as it does. But um, in terms of uh, dedicating a big portion of your life to answering that call is kind of silly. You need it more as a as a good as a good person, I guess. So, so what is Sistema to you now? I know that's kind of a big question, but it's one I'm trying to put to everybody that I'm talking to on this podcast. And what's what's your kind of conception or interpretation of it as it is? So, you have to understand when I see people training, how I see people training now. Look, when I see them, you can clearly see um, their doubts, their worries, their um, those things tend to stick out. And when you watch people working, you see them stop or pause or twist or turn. And that indicates um, a worry of some sort, a doubt, or a not confidence of some sort. And you have a couple of ways of looking at that. You can look at it like, I'm going to fix that worry. Or 
I'm going to work on something that that person has already as a strength and build that. So maybe they move really good and you, you, you work on that. And all of a sudden, what was a worry starts to change. So you can, it always depends how you look at it. But for me, before I tried to fix people, um, I tried to look at people from a technical or physical perspective. You know, how they, how they take people down, points of contact. It's very physical idea. Now I try to work with people much more on the emotional level and understand what they're thinking or how they feel about something. Uh, and that's a little bit deeper, and it also yields better results for the whole. Uh, because you can fix somebody technically and say you're not putting your hand in the right spot or your leg in the right spot or your head in the right spot for that matter. But then if they're worried or they have doubts or the fears, then it'll always be there. So I, I, my work changes now where I try to I try to work uh, with people on a, a deeper level and I find it uh, getting a better result. Great. You've always struck me as somebody who has a very, very strong uh, didactic background. You You think a lot about how you're going to put material across um, and people have commented far and wide kind of about how much they enjoy your, the way that you explain Sistema from so many different facets it kind of helps them to grasp it is there any is that a concerted effort on your part do you kind of read up on teaching and coaching and studying or is it just something that's kind of come naturally to you or it's been something that you've picked up through your years of training yeah no uh, Listen, obviously there's a big thanks to Vladimir for, for uh, so many years of, of amazing teaching. So you have that as a, as a framework. So, of course, it's, you, you know, I, if I spring forward, it's off of that trampoline. So it's, he provided that. Um, a lot of what I do and the way I see Sistema comes from different things I've read or different things I understand because I try to go outside of Sistema and understand what's inside so I've, uh, you know, I take up archery. I've, I've uh, done cycling. I've uh, run different marathons. I've, I've done things outside and applied Sistema with amazing results. And I'm trying to bring that in that I want everybody to explore and try apply it to different facets of their life. And the metaphors come from different angles, and people need to see that. So uh, I'll give you one that I, I saw recently or that I, I, I read recently where... You know, people see things as, as, as one way. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So I want to send you something. I want to send you uh, something in the mail that is um, quite, uh, let's say, fragile. And by the time it gets to you, it will be broken because the post is kind of rough the way they deal with uh, packages, right? So then you would obviously say to me, well, maybe you could package it and protect it a little bit so that it doesn't get roughed up, which is not bad, but... You know, maybe, maybe not. It'll get there in one piece. Um, but if I gave you another option and said, Glenna, uh, I have, I think that I have this package, I have this thing I'm going to send you that I think actually, if it's broken, it's okay. Because when it gets to you, if it's broken enough, it'll actually become a diamond. So imagine if you could have something that enjoys the process of being broken to be better. You talking about kind of an anti-fragile idea? That's right. And from that book is a perfect example. So in a lot of systemist training, and, and when I read that book, it was interesting how there is so much, uh, so much connection with systema. We're hitting each other, not to break each other, not to, but to make ourselves anti-fragile. And the, the goal of that beating is not a hazing or to toughen you. It's to... Uh, make you uh, is to find a point where you become stronger from the process 
So it's just like fasting. I'm not, I'm not not starving. I'm starving myself to punish myself, to be bad. I can actually feel I become stronger. Or cold water dousing. You don't do it to freeze yourself. You do it because you want to feel alive. Like you, you take something good from this thing. The beating or the hitting or the wrestling or the punching or the grabbing, whatever you're doing, is a frustration. It's a, it's a built-in uh, suffering. But that at the end of it, there's something amazing that's made from it. So the process of Sistema, the goal is that it becomes more resilient. It becomes really something better than when it first came in. And that has nothing to do with Sistema, that book, but it was all Sistema. I was like, wow. I, and I was reading it, and I was just reading it because it was an interesting uh, cover. And then I r- realized later it was quite quite, an, uh, quite a, a renowned book. But the connections to Sistema, that's all I saw. And I'm thinking, what a wonderful perspective of, of how to see something. I am going to rough you up, not to make you just physically tough, but to make you better than you were. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a movement right now in education and development generally around, and this idea that we're kind of we're making ourselves too comfortable with um, teaching too much to tests in schools and not allowing kids to kind of fall and make mistakes and expose themselves to threats and dangers and kind of the benefits of letting them roam in the outdoors and have radical responsibility for themselves. Yeah, 100%. Um, so if I had to teach a course to kids, it would be called danger. <laughs> That's it, danger. They, uh, I come from a time where you didn't wear a seatbelt, um, I'm just not better, right? I didn't wear a helmet when I was uh, on my bike. I went and played in a ravine in a creek that was full of dangerous things. And my parents had no idea where I was. And they just said, be home before dark. And they wouldn't know what we were doing. And half of the stuff was so dangerous. And danger is interesting. It teaches us so much because it's real. It's absolutely real in its application. And uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick story that happened to me uh, three weeks ago with my family. July 1st, exactly. And I remember because July 1st is my father-in-law's birthday. And I had the whole family. I said, okay, let's go up. My father-in-law lives north of the city. So I said, let's um, drive up north, uh, hop in my big truck. So I had me, my wife, my two kids, and my dog in the back. And we're driving up on a beautiful you know, July 4th for my father-in-law's birthday. We're going to take him out for lunch. So as we're in my truck, we go up, and uh, we're on the highway. I'm doing you know, 100 kilometers an hour. You know, we're going, 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 going. And as we get to um, as we get to the exit, I veer off the exit, and you know, car's truck is slowing down now, but it's still going about seventy kilometers an hour, or something like that. And I see the light turn red, so I said, "I'm going to hit the brakes now before I, I'm not going to go through this intersection." Well, as soon as I touched my brakes, the whole brake went to the pedal, went to the floor, and what happened was my master cylinder had blown. So I had no brakes on a truck that was going 70 kilometers an hour with my whole family in it. And I have to go through an intersection now, which I hope nobody's trying to run. And I have to figure out how I'm going to stop this truck now because it's going 70 kilometers an hour and I've got to get it to a stop. So in a very short period of time, without my wife knowing or anybody knowing anything is wrong, I realized the quickest way I have to stop this truck is by making a hard turn of some sort. So as I approached the turn, I made a hard left turn. And that, obviously, my family noticed, saying, hey, what are you doing when I did that sharp turn? I didn't tell them anything was wrong. And the truck slowed down to about 30 kilometers. And then I found a little hill, an upward hill, and I kind of went towards that way. And the truck started to slow down some more until it got to a crawl, and then I threw it into park. And then I stopped, and my wife said, what happened? I said, we had no brakes. (laughs) And she's like, what? So in a moment's notice, the danger comes real quick that 
this is serious. You're in a truck, and you're you know the, you got your whole family in there, and you're you have to somehow and that, and I had to not even alert my family because I didn't want them to freak out at the same time. So it was very interesting how real that was and what that taught me about internal condition. Now I've had many dangerous situations before, but there is no amount of training that could could copy that. Nothing. And that's real. And kids are missing that. Because we're uh you know, because they're we're we're overly protecting them and it's gonna we're all gonna pay for that by doing this, right? Now I'm not saying it's we're all bad parents by wanting the best for our kids, but that sits sits onto a different thing. You know, some of the, 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 the biggest travesties that happen are from planning. That's the problem. And we have to understand that kids need experiences and we trying to shelter them from these experiences is a big problem. So coming on to um, teaching youth, you have a really successful youth program here at Fight Club. Um, what, what have you learned through the years of working with youth? What do you have to change? What stays the same? What's your emphasis when you're teaching youth groups? I, I, the beginning, I, I changed a little bit. So I tried to um, incorporate different aspects and say, okay, I'll try to introduce like 50% of Sistema because, you know, hardcore, like the, doing it full out maybe would be too much for the kids and stuff. But that didn't last long. I, it didn't feel right with me. And then I finally said the only thing that really does feel right is if they do exactly what the adults are doing. So like the exactly the class we did today, they will do. But obviously they're not going to be punching each other and those kind of things. But they'll push each other. They'll wrestle. They'll grab each other. They'll do all those things, you know. I think of the kids and say, how do I want these kids to look when they're 18? Because like, they'll be in the adult program at that time. What, how do I want them to be? And so I, I kind of work backwards. I, I look ahead. I said, so I want Johnny to be, this is what I want Johnny to look like. And what's missing between there? And I try to make sure that he's all the fundamental stuff of Sistema and that he's also, you know, it, you know if he talks too much, he, sh- he shuts up a little bit. If he's too quiet, he talks a little bit more. If he's rough, he slows down a little bit. If he slows down, to speed up a little bit. Like, you try to put him in a place where he can experience the best parts of life, right? And then... I realized that what kids are missing is not so much teaching, it's mentoring. It's saying, you know, to a parent that your kid is going to have a lot of coaches. They're going to get a baseball coach this year. Next year it will be a different baseball coach. You'll have a different soccer coach. You need somebody that's going to see your child grow and know them and understand them um, and give them good guidance, especially as they get towards the teen years. Um, this is going to be critical, you know, because sometimes they will play a bigger role than the parents because they'll they'll naturally rebel against the parent. So sometimes a, a good mentor or coach or a mentor that's there that's known them for a while, that's powerful, and that can't just happen. You've got to you've got to look for that. Like I look for amazing coaches and mentors for my kids. I don't look for this year and next year. I want them to be around for a while to get to know them, to see them grow, and to shape them a little bit, not just teach them soccer. I'll go a little bit deeper. So in many cases, it's the conversations I have with the kids. How are you doing in school? Are you good? Are you helping mommy and daddy at home? Are you good with your brother and sister? Like, that's what matters. Not the punches and kicks right now, right? Bullies are far and few between. Yes, they exist, and we deal with those things. But kids need um, other things as well. So um, on on the subject of kind of development, um, so if you had to give one piece of advice to, say, a beginning student, somebody who's just starting out in Sistema, um, mistakes to avoid or misconceptions to avoid maybe or or useful things to focus on for a brand-new beginning student, what would it be? 
Um, you know what? There's, there's. First of all, there's tons of. When I started, there was no books. There was very little videos on VHS tapes and, you know, bootleg stuff. Nothing, you know, solid until many years later. Um, make sure you're reading all the books. Um, make sure you're training consistently because those things are very important. There's a lot of nice videos that you can watch, and those are those are great. But nothing supplements training, like actual hands-on training. So get to training consistently. Read the material that, that's out there because there is a lot of good material. I mean, the, the Strikes book and the the System Manual. I mean, they're all these are all really really good books with with tons of little hidden gems um, that you might not understand as you're reading them, but then later on will come as well. And then it's just a, especially if you're beginning, um, keep a journal. I always a big fan of a little journal. I'm not talking about in-depth stuff. Just write about the things you liked. Just write about one or two things that from class that you liked. And then it's really interesting when you're writing how it, it, it concretes thoughts and ideas in your head. Um, so if I hear somebody profound talk about something, the more I, I, I read about it or reflect about it, the deeper it goes into me. Um, so if you just, after class, just jump on your cell phone and start calling somebody, you're probably going to forget the entire lesson. Just take a moment to reflect on it and keep a little journal. It really helps learning. And it's amazing. At the end of six months, you look back at your journal, look at all the stuff that you learned and all the stuff you like. There's so much that's there. And it's also interesting to document things as time goes on because it's, you never know how long things you'll be around. Look, I wish I did. <laughs> I'm sure. And then the last thing is to you're going to have lots of thoughts in your head. So we actually latch on to those thoughts like they're real, like, like it's concrete. And we're not able to grab another thought. Um, you need to be able to observe your thoughts without grabbing them. Um, so I can get mad, I can get sad, I can get happy without grabbing that and making it a part of me. Um, because they, they tend to, uh, newer students tend to latch on to their thoughts and can't let go of them. I'm scared. I'm hurt. I'm, and they latch on. To, just, just last week, uh, some guy got belted good in the stomach here. He was rolling around the ground like he was shot. I, I walked over top of him. It was a good shot. But I walked over top of him and said, why are you holding on to this idea so much? And he just looked at me. And he said, yes, it was a hard punch. But you're holding on to the idea of this punch is what's making the suffering. And then he stopped and relaxed his face, and, and they let it go. He's like, holy crow. I was like, you held that thought like it was your very own, or like you needed to hold on to this forever. You don't need to. It's just thoughts, and thoughts are wonderful, and you can look at them and observe them, but you don't have to hold on to them forever. And then that, that will make your training much more enjoyable. So would you give the same advice to somebody who's been training three, five, ten years? You know, some people sometimes reach, feel like they reach a plateau and they need to kind of reach deeper into their training. Is, would you give some of the same advice about journaling and observing your thoughts and emotions and separating those things? Or is there anything else in addition you would offer to more experienced students? So, so I have an interesting, uh, over the years, I have an interesting thing where I've watched a lot of martial artists, uh, Sistema and non-Sistema, keep adding on things onto the rep. It's okay. Keep adding things onto the repertoire. And, uh, you know, do a striking, we'll do boxing or wrestling or do kettlebells and deadlifts and all this other stuff. And what ends up happening is you have all this repertoire, and, but you don't believe in anything. You just have all this stuff that you kind of believe in. 
it's best for as your training goes on is to get rid of stuff and then wait what you have is more yours um so i'm a big fan of 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 working with less so if you could as you train you should be working with less <coughs> in other words less uh, so if i use two hands i work with one hand so if somebody's attacking me and i can deal with them with two hands i should try use just one hand if i'm comfortable dealing with them with one hand i should try no hands and just use my legs um, that's one way. The other way is if I'm comfortable with one person attacking me, then maybe put two people or three people and four people. And then what happens is you're always working with less and always at a disadvantage. And that's how your skills grow. It's not growing by adding more. Um, I, I find that the best way of building skills is by working less and less, with less and less. And you see this manifestation in some of the highest levels of martial artists where they work with very little contact and it looks effortless. And everybody calls it uh, bullshit. But then when you watch Michael Jordan uh, in the old days and go up for a layup and, and slam dunk the ball and he's changing five different directions and he's sailing up there like a bird, everybody's like, wow. But why could another person not uh, deliver that level of, uh, of mastery in another area? Because I've, I've watched some, what these, some of these athletes can do. Watch what some soccer players can do with a ball. Is, it, it doesn't even look humanly possible. But nobody doubts it. But then when they watch a martial artist do some incredible things with people, they have already a doubt. And that's interesting to me. You know, because uh, we, we need to not always fear the things we don't fully understand. It's interesting. And it goes to show you what somebody can do with an incredible amount of practice. So come to the question of practice, kind of rounding up. Uh, what are you working on for yourself now? Do you have like a daily practice or a daily routine? And, you know, what do you do in the mornings? Do you have something that's consistent that you do day in, day out? Or does it kind of vary up? What does that look like for you? The first 60 minutes of my day is the most important for me. It's uh, how I start my day. Um, uh, the first 60 minutes is critical for me. Like I like... Um, starting it off in such a positive way. So I try to eat really uh, good food. I try to think really good things. I'm not checking my phone. I'm not checking my emails. I'm not uh, answering or, or uh, dealing with any sort of uh, stressful thing. It, it's all about reading, writing, uh, listening, relaxing. Um, actually, a lot of quiet, but not sleeping. <laughs> Sleep hour <I> did that. <laughs> but, and it's funny because you... When you anchor your day with 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 focusing on you for the first hour, you focus on you. It could be prayer. It could be reading some interesting book that it's really insightful, not business or but really deep about about people, about humanity, about something that's really caring and and powerful. It puts your life into good perspective, and I find because you deal with such personal issues sometimes when you're training you you when you work emotionally with people you dig up lots of stuff and in order for you to help people and see things clearly you need to be very quiet inside um, when you're quiet you can the not the answer but the solution becomes more clear so as a teacher trying to help people and as a teacher trying to guide people through a journey quiet is really important so um, i'm not I don't spend my morning noisy or, or active and loud. I try to spend it as positive as I can. You know, so cold water dose, a sauna, something that, that builds you. Um, uh, breathing exercises, anything that, that can, can, be, can be seen as something where it's about me. This is important because if you don't take care of you, 
then you'll never be able to take care of other people. You'll never have enough energy to help people. Um, and, and in life, it's the same thing. You'll never be able to just, you'll only be able to maintain your life, right? And I see when I watch people in the morning, if your morning is chaotic and your morning is full of stresses, checking emails, rushing to do this, rushing to do that, then you just set yourself up for complete mediocrity. There's nothing else that can be accomplished that day but pure mediocrity. And if you're fine with that, then that's fine. If, but don't don't complain when when it's that's the problem. And I, I you you as a, me as a teacher has to embody that. And I find that uh, when I'm reading uh, good books, when I'm listening to wonderful people talk, and people that have uh, big interests, not just their own, but big interests in life. Um, they tend to influence me a lot, you know, and uh, that's what I share with people. Is, and that's where all my analogies and all my um, inspiration comes is, is just being witness to lots of things in life and taking all the positives that we can out of it and then sharing it with people. Fantastic. Great. So um, so what's coming up next for you? Have you got any seminars, travel, things you're up to? Yeah, this year I'm going to be off in, uh I'm going to be in British Columbia in August, and then I'm going to be in Wales in um, October. So it's going to be good summers. Then next year, I don't know. Next year, we'll see. I'll have to decide that in December. But um, it looks great. It looks uh, great. I'm, I'm still enjoying doing seminars and training. And, you know, I'm just, just happy that Watch System uh, continue growing. And, and where can people find out more about um, your club and your work online? Fight Club. Yeah, just so if, if they type in uh, www.fight-club.ca or just go into Google and type in Toronto Fight Club, you'll find it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Emmanuel, for taking the time. It's always a pleasure speaking with you and uh, hope to see you again soon. All the best, man. All the best. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about training at NC Sistema, you can visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. That's www.russianmartialart.com, all one word. If you'd like to support the podcast, please take a few minutes now to give us a review on iTunes. This is probably the best way of helping us get the word out. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future guests and discussion topics, please contact us via www.ncsystema.com or email me directly at glenn at ncsystema.com. That's glenn with two n's at ncsystema.com. We welcome your feedback. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training.